0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Uh, I need to just say right up front, I am doing the sniffly coffee thing that some of you all probably are doing as well. I promise I will try my hardest not to do it into this microphone. That's the best I can give you this morning. There it goes. <clears throat> I am a man of reason, and, and what I mean by that is that I am someone who, who thrives on being able to have reasoned discussion with people. I, I don't tend to be somebody who's driven as much by emotion as I am by someone who enjoys, you know, thought-out argument. I tend to have good relationships with people who can at least appreciate or who also like to converse in a a style where, where there's reasonable, you know, discussion that's had. So it should come as no surprise to you that living in a house with a preschool son and toddler daughters stretches me. I love my children dearly, but they can't be reasoned with, When my daughter comes to me having a meltdown because her sister sat in the chair that she wanted to sit in or that she had thought about sitting in or that she had sat in two days ago and was planning on sitting in again at some point, she won't listen to an explanation whenever I tell her, sweetie, your your sister, she can't read your mind. She doesn't know. Just because you sat in a seat one time doesn't mean that it is saved and is now yours forever. When, when my son comes to me and, 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 is, and refuses to eat his dinner because I put his food on the orange plate instead of the blue plate, he doesn't listen whenever I say that it, the, the color of the plate has no bearing on the taste of your food and is going to have no impact on your dining experience. He doesn't listen whenever I say that it, it doesn't matter what it is that you're, that you're eating it off of and, and refuses to eat until the food is on the color palette of his choice. Those of you with, with older kids, kids who have grown up, maybe kids who are outside of the house would tell me, would advise me, do not wish these years away. And I love my children dearly, but there are times whenever I long for greater maturity in my home. And parents of young children do not have the market cornered on a desire for greater maturity in our lives. There are those of you who are teenagers, and you probably sit in your classes thinking, these kids are all the same age as me, right? Because it feels like I'm in kindergarten. There are those of you who have workplaces where you look around and sometimes you just shake your head, going, we're all adults here, right? The, the passive-aggressive email, the, the conversation behind somebody's back when it would have been handled so easily if you would have just walked up and told somebody what was going on. Some of you have friendships that are like this, where someone gets, gets miffed at the, at the smallest perceived slight, like you didn't respond to their text message quickly enough. Some, some of us have even experienced this in the church, Where where our relationships with fellow Christians or or the the trying to get involved in the church has been a series of letdowns because of just some ridiculous actions of the people inside. All of us, in in some way, some area in, in our life, are probably longing for a greater level of maturity. Well, what would you say if I told you that this morning, in the next 30 minutes or so that I could give you the secret to solving all of the maturity issues in every area of your life. You'd be pretty interested, huh? Well, too bad, because I can't do that. (laughs) But what I can do, what I can do, what we are going to do this morning, is talk about the key to Christian maturity that I believe would revolutionize our churches and revolutionize our homes, that would make them the envy of every other organization and household in the world. That's a pretty good Labor Day weekend to come to church, isn't it? As the video said this morning, we're launching into a new series called House Divided, and, and this is our third in a, in a series, our final in a series of series that we've been doing on the book of Ephesians. And, and in this series, we're really, um, well, not in the series, but this morning, we're really just going to focus in on one verse from the book of Ephesians, just one line that Paul gives us as he transitions us from where we've been to where it is that we're going I actually thought about asking our tech team if they would run the pre-message video from the last series and from this series, just to kind of make the point that this morning is really a bridge. This morning we see Paul taking us from one place where we've been to the next. And you can see this if if you look in your Bible, different translations will take Ephesians 5:21, and some of them will put it at the end of one section, and others will put it at the beginning of a new section, and that's because. It's truly both. This is, this is Paul. It is the culmination of the conversation he's been having about us having Holy Spirit-filled lives. And it is the launching point that he has jumping into a new conversation about how we have Holy Spirit-filled homes in our interactions between husbands and wives and parents and children. And Paul, he, he transitions from, from one place to the other with this principle that we're going to talk about this morning that, that might be the greatest sign of Christian maturity that you will find in the Bible. He, he transitions, and what I mean by that is that there is nothing else besides this that he mentions that quite sums up the totality of what it means to have grown to be more like Christ, and that, that, that's, you know, that's blowing this up pretty big. I'm talking a big game about this one verse that we're gonna talk about today, but I feel pretty confident to do it because I feel like, you know, Jesus backs me up or I get to back him up because they're his words and they're not mine. But I'm telling you that if Christians got this, like if we got this, our churches would be revolutionized. Our homes, our families would be revolutionized. Our world would be turned upside down by this. Now, I've used that phrase, I've said this word, this phrase, Christian maturity, a couple of times. I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page regarding this idea about Christian maturity. You see, everybody starts out with Jesus on the exact same page, needing him as their Lord and Savior. We all come to Jesus as a sinner, and we are helpless to save ourselves. But Jesus is there offering forgiveness and grace if we would just follow him. And once we do that, once we make that decision to become a follower of Jesus, we start out on a journey to become more like Christ. Last week, Matt and his message dropped the word sanctified. What that means is growing to become more like Christ in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, And we do this, as we start following Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive God living inside of us to help us grow, to help us walk through this process of becoming more like Christ. And it's a process that continues for the rest of our lives. And the truth is, honestly, whenever you first start out following Jesus, you don't look very much like Jesus. In your thoughts or your words, your actions, you don't look very much like Christ. And that's okay. We all start out there. But it's a process. As you grow as a follower of Jesus, you start to look more and more like him. You grow in Christian maturity. And what this means is that it's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's not about, you know, for how many years you've been a Christian. I know people who have been followers of Jesus for a really long time who have really grown very little in their faith. And I know others who have been following Jesus for a relatively short amount of time who are well on their way to becoming spiritual giants. What this is, Christian maturity is about your growth in becoming more like Christ. So, with that said, let me ask you to finish this sentence. You know that someone is a mature Christian if they fill in the blank. You know someone is a mature Christian if they have this trait. If they, you know that they've allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in their life if they this. And, you know, I could probably take a survey of the room and get a, a number of different responses, some of, some of you may say, well, you know, you know someone's a mature Christian if they know the Bible really well. You know, if they can quote scriptures, if maybe they can drop a little Hebrew or Greek on you every now and again, you know, if, if they can do that, then you know that, that they're probably a mature Christian. And what I would say is that, well, you know, there are some people who know a lot about the Bible but haven't allowed it to transform them. You know, there, there are atheists out there who, who know the Bible really well. They can, they can talk to you about the Bible, uh, but allowing it to transform you, now that's something different. And I, I would say that a mature Christian does know the Bible really well, but I wouldn't say that knowing the Bible really well is necessarily what makes you mature. Now, if I ask, somebody else might say, well, you know, if they're a mature Christian, they've got, they've got the sin under control in their lives, you know, they, they, they seem to have a handle on things like lust, things like greed, things like, things like idolatry, which is this, this idea of putting anything above Jesus in our lives. And you know, it's true. It, it is a sign of a, of a growing, maturing follower of Jesus that you sin less. You're showing progress in some of the areas that Pastor Matt talked about in his message last week. But just because you're changing behaviors doesn't necessarily mean that you are becoming a mature Christian because following Jesus was never about behavior modification. It was never about just getting yourself to look more like a Christian. Becoming more like Christ, yeah, it means that we're going to sin less. But, I mean, there are non-believers who give up things that we would call sin and they give them up for health reasons, so just because you are, you know, not sinning as much doesn't necessarily mean that you are, you know, matured in, in your faith. You know, another way that we might fill this up um, would be saying, well, then the person, you know, you know somebody's a mature Christian if they have taken on, you know, a Christian vocation. And you know, this, this might be the most kind of sneakily, just deadly way of thinking in the church today. That, that you are a mature Christian if you stand up and you, and you preach, or you are a more mature Christian if you have joined a, a parachurch organization that evangelizes to college students or is working to shut down abortion clinics, or you're a more mature Christian if you've, if you've gone out on the mission field and you're, and you're working as a missionary in a foreign country. That's what makes you mature. And, and the truth of the matter is that Yeah, I hope that the people who are up here, the people who are preaching in our churches, the people who are out on the mission field have grown spiritually to a mature place. But there are, and we need, just as spiritually mature followers of Jesus who are doctors and lawyers and tradesmen and women and teachers and anything else that you could think of, You don't have to be doing this. You don't have to work for a church or work for a Christian organization to be a mature follower of Jesus. In fact, that doesn't make you more mature. We need people who are every bit as mature followers of Jesus out there doing everything, not just this. So if being a mature Christian, if it's not those things, how would would I say that we fill in this blank? Well, I'd say that we look to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, this transition phrase that he uses. I'd say that this is at the peak of the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. And Paul writes this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In our NLT translation, you see he says this after the words, and further." In some translations, you look at, this actually gets caught mid-sentence. He said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see that it is the culmination of the idea he's been sharing about a Holy Spirit-filled life. Paul's been saying, live differently than the world around you. Honor God with, uh, with and among your fellow believers. Give thanks to God for everything. And further. And finally, and last but not least, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What this means, what this means is because of everything Jesus has done for you, because you have proclaimed him as your Lord and your Savior, because you want to follow him with your whole life because of everything that he is, place others above Yourself. This is it. This is what I would say is the pinnacle of Christian maturity, of growing to be more like Christ. And I wouldn't say that just because of its place here in Ephesians 5.21. I'd point you to a place like Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39. When Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's reverence for Christ. That's reverence for God right there. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. That means Jesus is saying this second command, it is of the same importance as that last one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's your submit to one another. Jesus is saying, place others above yourself. Look out for and be for the interests of others to the highest degree that you would for your very own well-being. This is the most important command in Scripture. Convinced? I'm going to assume that you're not and keep going. Luke 22:24 24 through 26. Jesus is sharing his last supper with his followers before he would die on a cross for our sins. And then they, his followers, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men, they lord it over their people and yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you, in other words, those who would be the greatest followers of Jesus, should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. The greatest thing a follower of Jesus can do is to put himself or herself beneath others and serve them. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your love for Jesus, because of his sacrificial love for you, leads you to serve and love others sacrificially. This is Paul's pivotal phrase. This is the culmination of the spirit-filled life and the foundation of a spirit-filled home. <coughs> this is the thing that would turn our churches and our families upside down would be for us to lay down our preferences, lay down our desires, lay down our self-interest for the sake of others. This step of growth, this mark of maturity, it is valued by God at the same level as your very worship of Him, because to do this is to worship Him. But this idea of submission, it it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, we don't like the idea of putting ourselves behind others. We haven't since we were little kids. Ever since we first learned how to line up, we wanted to be at the front of it. This is what our world tells us. It says, you look out for you and yours. It's survival of the fittest out there. In this life, you get as much as you can get for yourself, and if you have anything left over, then maybe you take care of somebody else. You put your proverbial oxygen mask on first, then you assist those around you. And Jesus comes along, and he takes this idea that we would hold on to our authority, we would hold on to our prominence, we would hold tightly to our security, and he flips it on its head. He says, if you follow me, you be about others first. You look out for them. You put aside yourself for the sake of others. I mean, we know that this has to be a spirit-filled thing because this is entirely unnatural. It is not natural to sacrificially love and place yourself beneath other people. I mean, we tend to think of submission as inferiority. We, we think that if we submit, it means that we are inferior to those that we are placing above ourselves, or we don't like submission because we feel like it's something that somebody does to us. In, in wrestling or in the martial arts, if you submit, it means that somebody has got you in a hold that you can't get out of. It means that you are admitting that someone has taken a dominant position over you that you can't escape. Submission is something that is forced on us. But that's not what Paul is talking about at all. None of those things apply to this instruction from Paul. He says that this is something we voluntarily choose to rank others above yourself. Choose to rank yourself lower. No one's forcing this submission on us. This kind of submission can't be forced. You can't walk up to somebody else and say, you submit to me out of your reverence for Christ. It doesn't work that way this is something you sacrificially choose to do. And it's not because of who they are, it's not because of anything they've done. But we place others above ourselves because we are submitting to God. This isn't a sign of being inferior, it's sacrificial love because we have been sacrificially loved. If anything, this is superior Christianity. Not that it should make us feel superior because that would defeat the point point. be like, hey, look how much better I am than you and not thinking that I'm better than other people. (laughs) Submitting yourself to serve others is not about inferiority because Christ, he didn't just call us to do it. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Jesus was inferior to no one, but he modeled submission and servanthood. In John 13, at that same last supper that we already looked at, Jesus and his disciples, they were gathered around a table for dinner, and this was after a long day of, of walking along dirt and manure-covered roads in sandals, and their feet were filthy. And look at this, starting in, in John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, because of, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jumping down to verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. There is no inferiority to serving, to taking a position lower than others because Jesus, who was far superior, showed us that this is what it means to lead. Jesus didn't just model this for us in his physical action. His very coming to earth was an act of servanthood and was an example for us. Paul, our author of Ephesians, in another letter he wrote to the Philippian church, he said this, he said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. Jesus was God, but he didn't hold on to that. He gave up his rights to be looked at as superior, his rights to be worshipped. He gave up the security of heaven, and he humbled himself so much that he allowed himself to die on a cross for our behalf. I mean, he defined the phrase sacrificial love. And as his followers, we are called to put others above ourselves because of our love for him. This is Paul's instruction for a spiritually mature, spirit-filled life. That we would honor God, not by seeking to honor ourselves, but by serving others. And I believe that Paul was daring us to imagine something. I believe that he was daring us to imagine just what our church could look like if we were more in this for others than we were for ourselves. I believe that he was daring us to imagine what it would look like for us to be people who would renounce our own desires, renounce our own will to give preference and precedence to others. What would it look like if we were deeply for each other? I mean, practically, what does this look like? Well, first, you need to know that submitting, it doesn't mean that everybody is always going to give way to everybody else because we never accomplish anything that way. No, 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 please. Let's do it the way you want to do. Oh, no, 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 I insist. Let's do it your way and on and on until Jesus comes back. No, this means that we've all been given roles, And responsibilities and gifts and talents, and we should submit to one another as those things require. We need to ask ourselves how can I best honor Christ and serve others with the role and the abilities that I've been given? We have elders and, and pastors and ministers. They've been given the responsibility to lead. So their job is to lead in a way that honors Christ and loves our church sacrificially. And we have a congregation that has been given a host of talents and abilities and roles and responsibilities, and their obligation, our obligation, is to serve one another, to serve our leaders and each other sacrificially. You know, by all standards, this is a big church, And it would be very easy to be a consumer here. It would be very easy. By consumer, what I mean is somebody who comes in and you drop your kids off for somebody else to minister to, and you come in and you listen to worship that somebody else is is making happen and teaching that somebody else is making happen, and you get handed communion that somebody else is passing out, and then you pick your kids up and you go home. And, And the truth is, whenever we're starting out, whenever we are in this state of spiritual newness, we all start out there and that's okay because that's where we need to start. We're, it's just enough for us to try to figure out our own walk with Jesus. We don't, we don't even know how to begin being there for, for somebody else's walk and that's okay. But if you want to step into spirit-filled maturity, then it's time to let that lead you to loving others the way that Jesus loves For some of you, that means that instead of your Sunday morning being a 9.15 or an 11 o'clock experience, it means asking, why can't it be both? What if I was here to worship and serve others? It means looking at your week and saying, what does it mean for my life to be about others? Is there something that maybe I can cut out that's for me so that I have time to add in something that's for the sake of other people's, a a, a school thing, a work thing, an an extra thing? to make room in my life to be there for other people. Yeah, it might mean having to get up a little bit earlier. Yeah, it might mean getting to leave a little bit later, but that's washing feet. It's being the one who is doing for others what was once done for you when you were new in your faith. You know, being deeply for each other, sacrificially loving each other, it means that we're willing to open up our friend groups, open up our life groups to those who need a place to connect. We've got lots of people here right now who need to find community. We've got thousands of others in our community who haven't, who haven't found a, a church or who are still trying to figure out this whole thing about where they are at with God, and they need people who are willing to open their lives up to them. They don't need people who say, well, yeah, that sounds nice, but, you know, we're really comfortable the way things are. We're really comfortable with the friends or with the life group that we've got. We need people who are willing to say, you know what, yeah, we've got room for some more. Absolutely, we would be willing to to break up even our group a little bit and, and multiply into other groups so that we've got space for more. It means sacrificing something of yours for the sake of others because that's what Christ did. I mean, this, this next one, this, this may stir the pot a little bit. That's okay because I love you. As one, of, as one of your teachers here, I've been called to say things that stretch you. Submitting to one another means submitting our preferences about the way that we do church for the needs of others, for the sake of those, of reaching those who might be reached by something completely different from us? Do you know that some churches have gone to war over what translation of the Bible they should use? You know, Paul, I believe that he would say to the mature believers, he would say that you guys should be the ones saying, whatever Bible translation, it doesn't matter my own preferences, but whatever one our leaders decide is the most accessible, the most helpful for the most people to know God's word, and at the same time, your leaders are sitting there saying, whatever Bible translation, not about our preferences, so that the most people have, the most accessible and helpful way for the most people to know God's word. Church people, we have been downright awful to each other about the way we do music in church. The style, the instruments, the volume, and it is, it is for us. What Paul would be telling us is that we need to be a church that says, I would give up my preferences for the sake of someone that this might be reaching. Even if I can't for the life of me figure out who this might be reaching, I trust that our leaders know and that they are, are trying to do what is best for them. And those who are responsible for making those decisions, they will be held accountable to God for the way that they led us and for the way that they were, were not uh, seeking out their own preferences Preferences, but laying those down to love the church sacrificially and those that they might be reaching. This means that placing ourselves below others, it, might, it means being open to some, some rough edges that might walk through the door. If we're doing what it is that Jesus has called us to do, if we're loving others and, and, and trying to help them understand what it means to be followers of Christ like we're supposed to, we're going to have people come in here who don't know how to do church there're going to be people who are who are being being loud or talking at times that are that are you know inappropriate during the service there're going to be people who might be dressed in something that you would say isn't appropriate to wear there're going to be people who might be using language that you wouldn't deem appropriate there're going to be people who have a noisy kid in here because they didn't know about our kids ministry or they didn't feel comfortable dropping them off in a place that they didn't know there're going to be somebody who just comes in and sits in your seat Will we be a church that gets frustrated by them? Or will we love them sacrificially like Jesus loved us? You know, if you think that this sounds hard, I told you, Paul, he uses this as a transition phrase. This is a launching point. (coughs) This is a launching point to where we're going. Because if you can learn to serve and submit to one another in the church, then maybe, just maybe, you can learn to do this in your family. We're going to talk as we move on in Ephesians. Paul, he's going to hit some really tough passages that I have the privilege of not talking about this week, but that Matt's going to get to talk about the next few and He's going to share with you some of these difficult things about how we submit to one another in light of our roles as husbands and wives and parents and children, submitting to one another as we would submit to Christ, loving as Christ has loved us sacrificially. It's going to be hard. It's going to be good. I would encourage you. I would pray that you wouldn't miss a minute of this House Divided series because if our church could be radically transformed by this idea that we've talked about today, if our families could be radically transformed by what we're gonna talk about over the next coming few weeks, could you imagine an entire community, an entire city, an entire state, an entire world, and how it would be changed by a people who are unrelentingly, passionately, sacrificially for each other, i realize that there are probably some questions running through your head i mean this is unnatural this is a spiritual thing that we're being called to it's going to raise some uneasiness for starters there are probably some of you who have been around a while who have been following jesus for a while and you may be wondering i feel like a lot of this is falling on me I feel like a lot of this is falling on us. Why is it those of us who have been committed the longest? Why is it that our group that I've been with for years, why does that have to change? Why does the environment that that I've been a part of, why does it have to change? Why does it seem like I'm the one who's having to give up so much? And yeah, it's because those who are further along in their faith, those who are more spiritually mature, they're always going to be called to model and to teach this for those who have a ways to go. The the spiritually immature are not naturally going to give in to the preferences of those who are more mature. And if you are somebody who would consider yourself more mature, you should ask yourself, what does it say about my maturity if I'm not willing to lay my preferences down for the sake of those who need to grow? The only entitlement that we gain by being more mature Christian is being entitled to give more of ourself away, to sacrifice more, to offer up more as a way of serving Jesus. Next thing, you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, sure, this would be great if everybody stepped up to do it. Yeah, if everyone loved in this sacrificial way and placed others above themselves, then yeah, this would all work dandy, but I'm a realist. I know that it's not gonna go that way. Some people are still gonna be in it for themselves. Some people are gonna continue being consumers. What if I'm the only one that steps up, the only one that changes to put others first? If I step up, how do I keep from getting taken advantage of? And you know, it's, it's true. It would be easier to watch somebody else's back if you knew for sure that they were gonna be watching yours. And truthfully, if we are reaching people for Christ, like we're called to, there's always gonna be a mix of more mature believers who are having to sacrifice more for the sake of those who are younger believers who haven't been shown the way yet. There will always be people who probably should have grown further than they have by now, but for some reason who haven't gotten that figured out yet that those who are more mature will have to sacrifice for. Jesus doesn't call us to worry about that. If you're worried about this being something that's fair, let me set all of your worries at ease. It's not going to be fair. Because that's what we're called to. It's going to be sacrifice, because that's what Jesus did for us. He who was worthy of all glory. He who was entitled, who should have had every one of his preferences met, he gave up all of that to be nailed on a cross for our behalf. There's nothing fair about being a follower of Jesus, but trust me, it's not us who are drawing the short straw. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And we get to love others sacrificially because of that. What a small thanks to do in light of such an undeserved gift. This morning, we're going to get a chance to say thank you for that gift. We're going to get a chance to remember that gift in a time of communion. This is a time where we stop every week, and everybody in here who is a follower of Jesus can take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that reminds us of Jesus' body nailed to that cross, his blood poured out to cover our sins. It's a time for us to remember anew every week that, that he is calling us on a journey. He is calling us to grow, to be more like him, and so this morning, we've got communion stationed at tables around the room. There are boxes there for you to drop your offering if, if you have, uh, you've come to worship God that way, prepare to do that this morning. So I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to take this time to say thank you and to ask God to continue to work in us to help us grow. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, Lord, you are good Lord, we thank you for your word. I am thankful anew every day, Lord, that you have spoken to us, that you, that you tell us what it is that you, that you want from us and what we need to know. And Lord, I thank you that today we can, we can hear from you about this idea of serving others, of laying down ourselves for the sake of others because you did that for us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we come before you now in this time of communion to say thank you, to worship you, to recognize just how great you are. We pray that you would draw us in and make us more like you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen.